0: If you've been set free this morning, will you say amen? amen? Amen. Let's pray together. God, we love you, and we thank you for today. And we thank you as we've declared about your grace and your love. And, and God, how you are a living hope. I thank you that our hope is not found in a place. Our hope is not found in a philosophy. But our hope is found in a person, in the person of Jesus Christ. And again, I pray for those of us in the room today that know you as our personal Lord and Savior, that we would celebrate your grace. And for those who don't know you today, we would find hope. Lord, we love you. We need you in this hour. For in your precious and holy Son's name we pray. And all God's people said amen. Amen, amen. amen. Have a seat if you can. Good to be here this morning, amen. amen. We're so glad you're here today. We are going to continue In our journey, we began last week in a new series called Conflicted by Grace. And it's a series that we're kind of continuing as we go through the Gospel of Matthew. And we started last week with the story of the rich young ruler. And the reason we kind of went with this conflicted by grace is because a lot happens in the, the story of the rich young ruler. And what we discovered last week was this basic truth. Is that in the world's view, the way you gain acceptance... The way you gain some kind of raise or promotion is works-based. But in God's economy and the way God thinks, the way we gain acceptance and approval of God has nothing to do with works. It has everything to do with grace. Amen? Amen? We define grace as this. Grace is the undeserved, unearned favor and love of God. That's what grace is. And if we're going to stand accepted and approved by God, it has nothing to do with our works, but it has everything to do with receiving the grace that he has offered us. Now, I say that because of this. The thing about it that I think we all have to understand is that we all wrestle with that. Everybody in this room that's a believer, we all know this truth, that we have been saved by grace through faith. Amen? Amen. But many of us still live our days trying to earn God's love. Try to earn God's favor. We know we're saved, but we still try to think, maybe if I can do this a little bit better, this a little bit more. Somehow God will love me more, and I can gain greater favor. And what we find out is that's not the way it works. It's a struggle. And so hopefully last week we were able to put to rest the struggle between grace and works. And today we're going to look at a different struggle. We're going to look at the struggle between grace and fairness. Between grace and fairness. Now, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 20. Now, as you're turning there, I want to say some things about fairness. And and I think if we were honest, we would say this. We like the idea of fairness, don't we? Because fairness gives a sense of order to the world we live in. For example, if someone commits a crime and punishment's handed down, and we feel like the punishment fits the crime, we will say, that seems what? Fair. Fair. Right? And likewise, the same is true. If you work with somebody, and they're just working hard, and they work all the time, and they're just busting it, and they're there early, they're doing more work than what they should be doing, and they get a promotion, and you look at that and go, you know what? They deserve that, so them getting promotion seems to be fair. See, fair says we get what we deserve. Now, here's what I want you to know. Fairness and grace are in somewhat of opposition to one another. Now, let me tell you why. Fairness says we get what we deserved. Grace says we get what we don't deserve. Are you with me? Are you tracking with me so far? Fairness says you get what you deserved. Grace says we get what we don't deserve. And there is the struggle within us between grace and fairness. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 20 is where we're going to be today. And we kind of look at this tension. And we have a little bit lengthier passage to read this morning, but I'm still going to ask you to stand with me in honor of reading God's word this morning. Stand with me if you would. As we look at this tension of grace and fairness. Chapter 20, verse one says this. For the kingdom of heaven It's like a master of the house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the Daenerys a day, he sent them into his vineyard and going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too and whatever's right, I will give you. So they went, going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, and did the same. And then the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them the wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each one received a denarius Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only an hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Do you not agree with me for one denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give To the last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Lord, may you bless your word today. May it speak to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Everybody may have a seat. Now, as we look at this passage, I want to do something very, very simple today. I want to give a little bit of background for a moment. And then there's this passage really breaks up into four sections. And they're, just, I'm just, they're in your listening guide there, and I was going to want you to write them out because I want you to follow my train of thought. But the important part of today is this. At the end, I think as we look back over the story, we're going to find there's three crucial lessons that we learn about God and his grace and our response to his grace. Now, as you look at the story, there's a lot of things going on, right? You've got this vineyard, where the vineyard, and as we read it again, I want you to kind of make these correlations. The vineyard represents the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner had a vineyard. The landowner represents God. The foreman is a reflection of Jesus, and the denarius is a reflection of eternal life, the wage that is given there. So you kind of need to know that as we go through this, and the laborers our believers. Now, as we look at the story, the first thing we see is the hiring of the workers. Look with me in verse 1 through 7 again. Let me read this. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard and going out again about the third hour and saw the other standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, You go into the field too, or the vineyard too. And whatever's right, I will give you or pay you. So they went and going out again about the sixth hour and now the ninth hour, and he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why are you standing idle all day? And they said, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you go out into the vineyard too. Now, what I want you to notice is a couple of things about this. The first thing we see is the hiring of the workers. And there's two things I kind of want you to wrap your head around with this. Number one is he hires workers at different times during the day, right? We get hired at the, at the early hour, then we can keep going on. Basically, it's 6 a.m., which was the start of the workday. And Jewish circles, the start of the workday was 6 a.m., and it closed at 6 p.m. A Jewish day went from 6 p.m. to 6 p.m. That's kind of how that worked. And so he went out, and he got the first workers at 6 a.m. Then he went back out and got other workers at 9, noon three, and then five o'clock. That's how much the guy went out, the landlord went back and got these different workers. Now, the thing that if you really think about that for a moment, that he hired these people at different hours of the day, there's an assumption I think we all would make. You ready? If Elijah gets hired at 6 a.m. and Randy gets hired at 5 p.m. Now, he's got a 12-hour workday ahead of him. That's exciting, isn't it, Right? Randy has a one-hour workday. So there's an assumption that we would all make. Don't, I mean, my point is, don't look at Scripture and don't look at the landowners and go, we have a holier thou moment for yourself. I mean, let's just think about it. One was hired at six and one was hired at five. He had one-hour workday. And there would be this basic assumption that the guy who was hired last would at somewhat at least get paid what? Less. Can we agree that we'd all make that same assumption? Now, the second thing I want you to notice is this, is not only the, the different hours of hiring, but the different descriptions of the wages that were offered. The first one he went to at 6 a.m. and said, I'm going to offer them a denarius a day. Now, a denarius, you need to know this, is uh, it is actually one day wage for the Jewish person. If they didn't have one denarius, they would not make it through the day. That was the bare minimum. Now, interestingly enough, according to the Old Testament, they had to be paid at the end of the day, not the first of the day. Now, if you're a business owner, why do you pay people after they work instead of before they work? Come on, not a trick question. Some of you are like, I don't know. Well, let me tell you, right? Because if you pay them first, before they work, they may jump ship on you, Right? And you've wasted the money. So in the Torah, the Old Testament, they were required to pay at the end of the day a day's wage that would get them through the next day. And so with the first group of people, he said, I'm going to pay you one denarius. That's that's what our agreement is. And they agreed to that. And then he went to the next group of people that he hired and he said, listen, I'm going to pay you what is right. And we're going to come back to that word. That's an important word. I'm going to pay you what is right. And he made the same agreement, with everybody else going down the road. Now, let me just follow my train of thought for a moment. He hired a different hour, so we're going to make this assumption those hired last will be paid less. And now he goes and he makes his different agreements. I'm going to pay you, I'm going to pay Elijah one denarius, and Randy, I'm just going to pay you what is right. Now, here's the thing. That just confirms our assumption, doesn't it? If he's going to get one denarius, and he's going to pay Randy what is right, can we not all assume that what is right is that Randy would get less than what Elijah would get? Are you with me on that? Are you with me? Say amen. Amen. I mean, so it makes sense, right? I mean, so this just confirms our assumption, and it also tells us this, that what Randy gets paid is totally up to the discretion of the landowner, right? He doesn't give him a number. He said, I'm just going to pay you what's right. Now, we're going to assume what's right is less then what Elijah gets, because he's getting one denarius and he's working all day. He's working an hour, so he's going to make less. Now, the other thing we need to notice is this. All these people that came on board, all agreed to the circumstance. The people that came on early agreed to one denarius for a whole day's wage. And the assumption, if you read the text in the original language, is the assumption that everybody else who came on for what is right agreed to whatever the landowner discerns is right. We're good with that. So we see that in the hiring of the workers. Then we see, second of all, the workers are paid. So we kind of miss the day, don't we? We miss, did the the six o'clock guys work really hard? Did the noon guys work terribly hard? Did the the guy hired at five, was he just like, you know, chilling out at the water cooler and and doing, I mean, we don't know anything about how they worked, which is very important to the story, right? Because we're not gonna look and go, well, that guy worked harder than that guy. No, we don't know that. All we know is next is that their workers were paid. Look with me in verse 8 through 10. It says this. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those who were hired about the 11th hour came, each one of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. Now, listen, there's some interesting things I want you to notice about this. First of all, the 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 paying of the workers is the workers were paid in reverse order. Did you pick up on that? Now, I know some of you have been in church a long time going, yeah, I've heard that before, right? The last will be first and the first will be last. Well, we're going to hear it again here in just a moment. But there's this idea, that the, and, the, and that's a pregnant statement. We're going to come back to that. But the thing is this, they were, they were paid in reverse order. Now, just think about it for a moment. You've been working 12 hours. Elijah's been working 12 hours. Do you think if he worked hard, he should be exhausted after 12 hours in the scorching heat? Yes or no? Yes. Randy's working an hour. He may have just barely broke a sweat, right? So if there's any guy you want to pay and get him out of there so he can go recover, so maybe you can hire him the next day, it would be Elijah, right? But that's not how he pays him. He pays him last first. Now, if you think about that, and you know the rest of the story, I think there's a method to the landowner's madness. See, if they're in line together, if Elijah and Randy are in line together, Elijah is seeing what Randy gets paid, Right? Because it wasn't like a paycheck where they put it in the envelope and they sealed it, and nobody knows what's in there, right? They're just handing it out. Okay, you get one dinar. see you. you get one dinar. see you, you get one, I mean, that's how it worked. And so the guys who went first would have seen the guys who went last getting their pay. And so there's this reverse order. Now, when you think about that, they were all paid what? One denarius. One. All of them. Now, when you look at the story, I think there's two things you can, make a, you can you can kind of think about when you think about they got paid one in there. So one is, I think it's a beautiful picture of something, but I also think it's a picture of confusion for the people there that day. Here's what I mean. On the good side, this landowner showed no partiality, didn't he? It didn't matter what time you got hired because the landowner knew something. You ready? The landowner knew that if you were going to survive, if you were going to live, it's going to take one denarius. It doesn't matter whether you came at 6 a.m. or you came at 5 p.m. At the end of the day, all the people hired still had to have the same amount of money to make it for a day. And this landowner shows no partiality and he gives everyone the same payment which would have allowed them to live for another day. Now please hear me, that is such a beautiful picture of God's grace, isn't it? Listen, whether you come to faith like I did at nine years old, or you come to faith at middle age, or you come to faith at deadbed, it doesn't matter because the reward is still the same, that one day we're going to leave this world and we're going to open our eyes and we're going to see the physical Lord Jesus and be with him forever. And there's no partiality in God's grace. It's not about, well, Doug, you've been a Christian for 40-some-odd years, and you, and you followed me and you lived for me, and this guy over here, boy, he died on a deathbed, and he only lived for me for six minutes. And, boy, Doug, you're, you're, I'm going to give you so much more of heaven than he is. No, 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 no. There is no partiality. There is one reward, and it's been the eternal presence of our Savior forever. Amen? What a beautiful picture of God's grace, right? No partiality. But what's confusing is this, and what's confusing about it is this. It's because the way he paid them, if you're the first workers, you're thinking, well, I deserve more, right? I deserve more. If I worked at 6 and they came at 5, I deserve more. I mean, let's be honest. Wouldn't you think you deserve more if you were the guy that got hired at 6 a.m.? Come on. Wouldn't you think you deserve more? Listen, you're out in the Florida heat, and right, right? And you're working your as my grandma said, my fingers to the bone, right? And you're working hard and you're working hard. And then you see the latecomers. Listen, you are hot, you are miserable, you're exhausted, and you see a dude show up at five o'clock and he gets hired. And when you get paid, he gets what you get paid. Are you offended? Now listen, here's the thing: what happens here seems to break all the rules about what is right. Remember what he told he was going to pay those that he hired after the first group? He said, I'm going to pay you what is what? What is right. And so apparently the landowners thought what is right is that you can live, that you get to live another day. And so I'm going to give you the same thing I promised these guys, and I'm going to give you one deniers because I think that is what is right. So when you look at the story, what's confusing is this, is that it seems like those who came on early, that they would probably want more. And the way the landowner dealt with his money seems to be a bit confusing because the people who came on early got the same stuff as those who came on at 5 o'clock, right? This parable breaks all logic about what is right. Unless, hear me, hear me, unless, follow me, unless what is right and what is fair are not the same things. Are you with me on that? See, if we were talking about fairness, with the guys coming in at the 11th hour, should they get paid what the first guy came in and got? No. But he said, I'm going to give you what is right. Now, one of my favorite passages, Micah 6, 8, says this, do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with our Lord. He says, if you want to know what the Lord wants for you, do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with our Lord. That phrase, do justice, the word justice, if you translate it in the Hebrew, literally translates, do what is right right. So what is right and justice are the same things. Now, parents, I'm going to give you such a great parental moment here. Are you ready, parents? If you're ready, say, I'm ready. See, when my kids were little, I got so tired of hearing, that's not fair. And I would tell my kids with great confidence, I'm not trying to be fair. I'm trying to be like God, and I'm going to be just and so fairness goes out the window in my household. Now I was making a point with them. Is the world fair? No, the world's not fair. We think it's fair. We kind of view our lens to the world through fairness, but it's not fair. And listen, would you rather God be fair or God be just? I want him to be just, right? And so this guy, the, the thing about it is, is the that it flips the script here and it kind of flips this parable that that this this parable Jesus is telling is kind of it's tweaking the idea. That we, th- that we think about fairness. Because what if what is right and what is fair are not the same things? See, I think that's a nugget of truth that we all need to learn today. What is right and what is fair are not necessarily the same things. And we see that in the passage. But obviously, they don't get it, right? Because look what happens next, verse 11 through 12. The workers begin to plane, right? Look at me in verse 11 through 12. If you're awake this morning say, so I'm awake. And I tell you, this is good stuff. Here we go. And receiving, on receiving it, their are They grumbled at the master of the house saying, these last worked only one hour and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. These guys were upset. They were basically looking at the landowner and they were saying this. It's not what? Fair. And I want you to hear me. They were offended by the way they were paid. Now, notice how they were offended. They weren't offended that the Randys of the world, the, the, the 11th hours of the world, got paid one denarius. They were offended they didn't get paid more, right? It wasn't like, hey, you know, I'm offended you got paid what I was committed to, but I was committed to one denarius. You get one denarius. That means I should get more. So they weren't offended that the other people got paid. They were just offended They didn't get more than what they thought. So then the landowner, here's the fourth section. The landowner corrects the workers. He corrected them. Look what happens next. Verse 13 through 15. But he replied to one of them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for uh, Daenerys? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose, did you get that? I choose to give to the last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? And so the landowner says this to him. Listen, guys, how you guys that are complaining. Those of you that are hired at the early hour, listen to me. I'm just. I've done no harm to you. Did I tell you I would hire you for a day's wage? Yeah. Did I pay you a day's wage? Yeah. Stop whining. Right? I'm just, listen, God is just. He says, "Listen, I committed this to you. I'm keeping my commitment. And oh, by the way, don't I have a right to do with my money? as I see fit. Because guess what? It's my money. It's not your money. You have no say-so. You are a laborer. We made an agreement. I hired you for one denarius. I paid you one denarius. Take your money and go away. Because at the end of the day, all my wealth, guess who it belongs to? Me. And I have the freedom to disperse it as I see fit. Stop whining. Right? And then he also points out, he points out their motivation. And their motivation is greed. Look with me in the very end there in verse 14. He says this, take what belongs to you and I choose to give to the last workers I give to you. Verse 15, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me or do you begrudge my generosity? In other words, or are you jealous of the grace that I've shown them? Are you jealous of that? See, their motivation was greed. Now, please hear me this morning. One of the the words the devil continues to, and wants to invade our life in our homes, in our businesses, in our finances is this one basic word that at the very core of it can destroy our spirit, and it's this word, more. Because more says I'm never satisfied. More says I'm never content. I've always gotta have more. And Jesus, through this parable, exposes These laborers' hearts, which is a heart of greed. Listen, they didn't even rejoice that their brothers who came in late in the day got a Daenerys so they could live one more day. They didn't rejoice in that. They were just jealous and envious because they didn't get what? More. Now, when we read this story, there's a large part of us going, What fools, right? But I think we can relate to them, honestly. I think if we were super honest. We've been like them before, haven't we? See, here's what I know about me, and here's what I know about most of you. Somewhere deep in our hearts, we know we've been saved by grace through faith, but somewhere deep in our hearts, we want God to act what we view as fairly. Right? God, I'm giving to the church. God, I'm serving. God, I've got my house in order. I expect you to do this for me. Right? Come on, are you with me on that? And here's what we do when we don't get what we think God owes us then we think God is holding out on us, right? Isn't that the sin of the garden? Do you remember the garden? Remember what the serpent told Eve? Surely you won't die. Surely if you eat of the tree that God's forbid you from, you will know what is good. You will know as God knows. God is holding out on you, Eve. So what did Eve do? She grabbed the fruit. She ate it. And misery likes company, and so she gave it to Adam as well. And he, being a foolish man, said, okay, I'm in, right? I mean, the thing is this, is that, that sometimes when we want God to act fairly and we don't think God acts fairly, then we have this notion that somehow God is holding out on us, that God is that he's holding his blessing back from us. And you know what path that leads us down? It leads us down a path where we start looking at how God is blessing other people, and we get jealous, right? We get envious. Oh, God, you bless them. I mean God they, they 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 got like I mean I look at their, their life and all I see is how you blessed them. I see how you blessed their family. I've seen how you've healed their kids of sickness. I've seen God how you provided when there seemed to be no. One. God, I've looked at all these other people and you're doing for them and you're not doing for me and God I've had enough of that. You ever been there before? Oh no, we're super spiritual. We would never say that, right? But we have. And see, here's the problem. When we are like these workers, and these laborers, and we kind of wrestle with we want God to be fair, and we feel like if we don't get what we think is fair, that God is holding out on us, which leads us to a path of jealousy. When that happens, like these workers, we begin to miss what God has already given us. Can I ask you a question? Yes, I can, because I'm on the stage, right? Did these guys receive grace that were the six o'clock hires? Guess what? They were unemployed at 559 right? They had no job. They were hopeless at that point. They had nothing. And the, 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 the owner come out and he hired them. So the fact that he hired them was an act of grace because they, were, they, were, they, they had no job. They were unemployed. And yet because they experienced this grace and they thought other people were experiencing more grace, they were somehow offended by that. Well, listen to me. Please hear my heart this morning. When we get wrapped up in God being fair, and we get wrapped up and we think in God holding out on us, and we become jealous of what God is doing in other people's lives, we miss the grace that we've already received. Are you with me on that this morning? So I think we can relate to these folks. And then Jesus ends this passage with a very familiar quote. Look at me in our very familiar words. Verse 16. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Now, Here's the Jesus point, because really this, this phrase, Jesus answering a question that Peter asked in chapter 19, Peter asked this question, don't turn there, in verse 27 to 19, he asked this question, Peter said to him, Jesus, we've left everything and followed you, what then will we have? Notice, what's our reward going to be? And Jesus ends that section going, the last will be first and the first will be last. In the middle of this parable, he tells the, the, the foreman to pay them last to first, and then he ends the parable with going, the last will be first. The first will be less, you get that there's a theme that Jesus keeps coming back to, and his answer to Peter is this: hey Peter, guess what? It's not about who gets the reward in what order, it's not about the the, the 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 quantity of the reward, it's about this, Peter. You are rewarded. You will enter my kingdom as one of my children, and you will live for me forever, Peter. You receive reward. How about we just celebrate that? Are you with me, Peter? Are you getting are you what Jesus is doing now? This whole first and last thing, the whole point is, it doesn't matter who gets it first. It doesn't matter what quantity we see. At the end of the day, if you're a follower of Jesus, one day you're going to step in eternity and you're going to be at the presence of your Lord forever and ever and ever. And in that moment, do you think you're really going to care how God blessed somebody else more than he blessed you? No. All you're going to care about is worshiping and singing praises to the King of Kings, the, the song of the angels, holy, holy, holy to the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Amen? That's going to be our story. And that's how Jesus ends the parable. Now, as we wrap this up, there's three things I want us to learn. There's three lessons I think we've got to walk away with. Here's the first one. God sovereignly acts. Here's what I mean. He is on his throne, and he is in control. And because God sovereignly acts, as we see in the story, as the landowner is a picture of God, because God sovereignly acts, He is not obligated to extend His grace to anyone. Did you know that? God is not obligated to extend His grace to any of us, but He does. See, the landowner sought out the workers, didn't he? They didn't come find Him. He went and found them. Do you know that we have a Heavenly Father who seeks us out? We sang about it a while ago, right? One of my favorite songs Right there's no there's, there's no mountain you won't climb up. My favorite part is there's no wall you won't kick down. I mean, like God pursues us like we've never been pursued before in the, in our lives, and so God is not obligated because He sovereignly acts. He's not obligated to extend His grace to anyone, but He does. And and because He sovereignly acts, God doesn't owe us anything. But He gives us His grace, right? And when we decide that we, we need more then what we're saying is that your grace is not sufficient for me. But can I tell you, when you say your grace is not sufficient for me, you're saying, Jesus, you're not enough. Now, how many of us are ready to say that? See, what I found out in my life is, his grace is sufficient. Amen? And so God sovereignly acts, and because God sovereignly acts, he does not owe us anything, he disperses his grace as he sees fit. And so when you see God working in someone else's life, how about we just try this? How about instead of being jealous and envious, we rejoice with that person? Are you with me on that? So God's sovereign lack. Second thing I want us to walk away with this, is this. God's grace is overwhelming. Now, if you struggle with that one, we need to talk. Here's what I mean. It's overwhelming because God's grace surpasses all our expectations. Do you think the people that showed up at the 11th hour as they were getting paid expected to be paid a day's wage when they worked one hour? No. They just know they got an hour. Maybe, maybe that'll get me through part of the day. But his grace exceeded all it surpassed all the expectations. Listen to me. When I look at my life and when you look at your life, here's what we discover. We are undeserving and we are unworthy of God's love. Amen? And see, here's what I expect. Because I'm undeserving and because I'm unworthy, I expect what the world offers. I expect, like if in the world, when they deem me undeserving and when they deem me unworthy, here's what they do to me. They marginalize me. They look over me. They deem me unimportant. But God's grace surpasses all that. In God's eyes, you're not undeserving. You're not unworthy through his son, Jesus. Before Jesus, you were. But with Jesus, you are a child of the most high God. And you are not unimportant. You are precious to him. His grace should be overwhelming to us because it surpasses all of our expectations. But you know another reason His grace is overwhelming is because it's not fair. Guess what? We didn't get what we deserve. Are you with me on that? If you want fairness, if you're going to raise the banner of fairness, well, let me tell you what we deserve. The wages of sin is what? Death. What we deserve is eternal separation in a place called hell where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth for all eternity. That's what we deserve. And see, God's grace is overwhelming because it's not fair. It's just. And we put our faith in Christ. We have the hope of heaven. You know why God's grace is also overwhelming? Because we get what we don't deserve. Are you with me on that? We get what we don't deserve. You know what that is? His love. And you know what about his love? His love is not conditional. You know, we live in a world of conditions, right? I love you when, I love you if, I love you but. Are you, you know what I'm talking about? That's not how God operates. That's not how God loves us. God loves us unconditionally. That's the word, the Greek word agape. God loves us unconditionally. His love is unconditional. And guess what? His love is not partial to anyone. He shows no favoritism. You know what? If you got saved at nine or you got saved at the deathbed, at the end of the day, we all get the same heaven. Amen? And here's the thing that we all need to know. Before Jesus, we were all equally lost. After Jesus, we are all equally saved. So if you're an axe murderer and you repent and turn to Christ, if it's a prostitute that turns to Christ or an adulterer that gives their life to Christ, they are just as saved as the Apostle Paul was. Because there's one God, one salvation, and one hope of glory. Amen? His grace is overwhelming because it blows all expectations out. It is not fair because we don't get what we deserve. But what we do get is what we don't deserve. His love. Last thing is this. Take away this. Our response to God's grace should be gratitude. Our response... His grace should be gratitude. How did the laborers respond? Did they respond with gratitude? No. They responded with jealousy, envy, and greed. And when we think about the grace of God in our life, our response should be gratitude. Are you with me this morning? That should be our response. See, when I look at my life, here's what I know. I know my rebellion. I know the darkness of my heart. I know the faithlessness in my life sometimes, and you know the same thing about you. But yet the psalmist says we are to enter in his gates with thanksgiving in our heart, and we're to enter his courts with praise. You know why we can come this morning and lift up thanksgiving to the Lord and lift up praise to the Lord? It's because of the grace he's shown us and the gratitude that comes from that. That's why we give thanks. That's why we give praise. Because deep within us, there's this gratitude that I'm undeserving and I'm worthy, but Jesus loves me just because, and I'm thankful for that. And there's gratitude in my heart for that. And in our, and when we look at the grace of God, our response should be gratitude. See, some of us say, oh, I'm saved. Jesus changed my life. But we keep living the sinful life we've been living. Do we continue to sin that grace may abound? No. We express gratitude. Now, here's what I want to do as we close this morning. For those of us that are believers, I have three challenges for you today. The first challenge has to do with what's going to happen in the next few moments. The other two challenges are about this week. So I want you to stay with me. Here's the first thing. If you're a follower of Jesus, here's my first challenge. I want to challenge you this morning to do this. To be reminded how every day you need God's grace. Are you with me? Today, that you decide that you're going to remind yourself every day how much you need God's grace in your life. See, it's not just about saving grace. I need grace all the time, don't you? Because I rebel. I say things. I do things. I, 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 I'm faithless at times, and I still need his grace. Says, Doug, I love you in spite of what you're doing. And so, I want us to confess today as, as believers that I know that every day I need His grace. Now, there's a quote I came across this week that I want to read to you. I love it. I can't dare pronounce his last name. His name's, first name is Tolian. It's Billy Graham's grandson. If you know anything about him, he was a pastor of a mega church. And he sinned and committed adultery, got out of the ministry. And how many years ago after that, he wrote this We need grace. Why? Because we fail, because we lie because we hide things, because we get mad when we don't get our way, because we gossip, because we're impatient, because we're not thankful, because we're selfish, because we hold grudges, and because we refuse to forgive. We all need grace every day. And if you're a believer, that is your story too. And here's how I want you to do that today. This altar is going to be an altar of gratitude this morning. Are you with me? And if you're a believer, I'm going to invite, you may not feel compelled, that's okay, but if you do, I'm going to invite those who are believers to join me at this altar and do three things when you come here. Number one, I want you just to confess, Lord, I need your grace every day in my life. Number two, Lord, I repent of the sin and the rebellion that's in my life. And number three, God, I want to express my gratitude for the grace that you've given me. All right, that's what I want us to do today. First, second thing is this, as you go this week, when you see people that God has shown grace to. Rejoice with them. Go celebrate that with them. Hey, it looks like God bless you this week. I'm so thrilled for you. And don't say it tongue in cheek. Mean it, right? Say, look, I'm so thankful that God is working in your life. And then also this week as you go, if you really have gratitude in your heart, if you're a believer, if there's really gratitude for the grace that you've received, would you go invest in someone else this week and invite them back next week? Because you want them to experience the same grace that you have? Do you remember two weeks ago we saw a video, and I said this in the, the video, 21,450 people in our area who are disconnected from God and disconnected from church, and I'm asking you to go get one of those this week if you're really grateful, if you really have thanksgiving in your heart for the grace that you've received. So if you're a believer, in just a moment, we're going to pray, and when I'm, we're done praying and we sing, this altar is an altar of gratitude. A place where you can come and say, Lord, I need your grace every day. Lord, I repent of the sins in my life. And Lord, I want to express my gratitude and thanksgiving for the grace that you've given me. Does that makes sense? Make sense? That makes sense. I got you. I mean, that's what I want us to do today. And then if you're here today and you don't know Christ, listen, this story is bigger than the guy that owned a vineyard. This story is about the grace of God. I don't care what your background's been, I don't care what your story is, the grace of God has been extended to you as well. I don't care how bad you've been in the past. You may say, Doug, you have no idea. You're right, I don't, but he does. He knows your story, and he still loves you. You can't earn it, you don't deserve it, but he loves you anyway. And all I'm asking you today, if you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior today, just admit that you know that you're a sinner, and you ask God to forgive your sin and receive his grace this morning. If you do that, you belong to him, and you'll be a child of the most high God. So I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask everybody to stand with me if you would. Everybody stand with me. Everybody stand, every head bowed and every eye closed, just for a moment. And then I'm going to pray for us. Every head bowed and every eye closed. In this moment I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing. But if you're a believer, I, I hope you know the challenge today. Challenge one is if you feel led, this altar is an altar of gratitude. Lord, I need your grace. I blow it so many times. I fail. I lie, I've done things, God, I've not forgiven, I hold, whatever it is, and say, Lord, today I I need your grace, and I need it every day, and I repent of the things in my life, and Lord, I express my gratitude, because I know on my best day, with my best effort, I can never be acceptable to you, but you love me just because, and because I've received your grace, I'm your child, and I thank you. if you're a believer that's that's the altar today it's an altar of gratitude would you express it if you don't know Christ today would you just surrender your life to him and trust him with all that you have say I know I'm a a sinner forgive me my sin and come into my life and he'll do that we're going to sing a song in just a moment about three weeks ago I had a niece who helps lead worship call me said Dave, have you heard this song I listened to it. I just felt like tears were welling up in my eyes. So I take it to Patrick. And says, Patrick, you heard this? He said, yeah, I heard it for the first time about an hour ago. And the song's all about falling into the grace of God, reminding how much we need His grace. So in just a moment, as we sing, would you just celebrate and would you just sing this song from the depths of your heart? God, I love you. I thank you for today. And I thank you for the parable that Jesus told. I'm reminded, God, that I don't want fairness I want grace because I don't want what I deserve. I want you to give me what I don't deserve, and that's your love. And God, today, for those of us that are believers, I pray we would celebrate that. I pray that there would be gratitude that comes out of us this moment as we think about coming back to you and falling into your grace, Lord, and celebrating your grace, Lord, that we would express a heartfelt gratitude to you this morning. And I pray for those who don't know you that today, They would say yes. Today they would realize that as unworthy, as undeserving, as small and insignificant that they feel, that there's a heavenly father who loved them so much that he sent his only son down the cross to remind them that they're worth something. They're worth saving. They're worth redeeming. They are worth changing. So God, for those who need to make that decision, would they do it today? Lord, I love you. We bless you. We thank you. And may we express our gratitude for your grace in this place this morning. For it's in your precious and holy son's name we pray. And all God's people said amen. Amen, amen. amen. As the Lord leads you, would you respond? If the Lord leads you, this altar is open.